I feel we, we got a challenge on, on our hands this morning. We, we try really hard not to play into a which is better first or second service uh, dynamic or to sort of stereotype, pigeonhole what, what the different services are like. Um, you guys are obviously the best though, right? Uh, the, the, the later service, taking that extra time to wake up. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I am just aware this morning, it really felt, um, it's, it's felt to me like the Holy Spirit's moving and, and wanting to do something. And uh, this task ahead of us of looking at the book of Revelation, it's a, it's a big one. And, and I make um, the every effort that I can to make sure that we, we're doing it, it justice. Um, and so it's dense. Um, I'm inclined to, to, uh, to improvise just a, a little bit this service because I feel um, I want to leave some space for what God might be wanting to do amongst us this morning. But yet yeah, we have heard this passage, if you have your Bible here, verses 1 to 3 of the first chapter, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Lord, we uh, lay a, a, a hold <laughs> of that blessing that you've promised. Uh, we, we submit ourselves to your word against this morning, and, and we ask you to reveal yourself to us. I was just thinking um, this morning, um, last week we did uh, a bit of time, I mean really just scratched the surface, but in this concept of apocalypse generally, in this concept of revelation, and I made the case to you that Christians have always understood because it's basically <laughs> what scripture teaches, that we, we know God by revelation and, and that's a complex thing um, but the basic idea I think that we get that if we have been graced to know God it's because he has shown himself to us he has revealed himself to us and I'm going to skip right through that because some of it was unpacking um, this concept of apocalypse of revelation that God does reveal himself to us. Thinking this morning, 20 years ago and one day, um, I woke up from um, a dream that, that affected me. I, I, I do occasionally get these dreams that, that feel like they're significant. I guess lots of us do, really. But this was one of those dreams where it was like, oh, that meant something. Have you ever had that feeling where you're like, oh, what, what do I do with that? It wasn't just about me turning up to school in my underwear. There was something more profound than even that going on. And in this dream, uh, at the time, we were living in Alderley. And I came out of the back of our house because there was all sorts of commotion. Um, and we lived on the park just up there near Grinstead. 
And as I walked out into the backyard, there were men pouring through the park that we would describe today as Mujahideen. So um, the Taliban, basically, looking at the, the image of Kabul being taken over, men with um, Kalashnikovs pouring through the park. And, um, and I thought, I mean, I was an international relations and, and politics student at the time, but that was a really weird idea, that there would be a war here in, in Australia. Um, probably Pastor Daniel <laughs> wouldn't have been as surprised as me, but the idea that there could be a war with, is, with Islam, actually, here on our soil in the West, um, as engaged as I was with, with politics, I, I was s- something pressed itself into me in that dream and I, I, I'm, I don't know if I told my family around the dinner table my dad used to hate it when I'd share dreams but anyway carried it through the course of that day 20 years and one day ago uh, and had dinner with a friend of mine Lynn Smith Cottrell's daughter Lani and as we were chatting the news um, showed these images of planes going into the Twin Towers and it was either very late at night here or early in the morning. I actually called my parents and said, you, you need to turn the TV on. And the way that I experienced it was this dream <laughs> that I had is coming true. Um, even before the details came to light as the news report rolled, I knew that it was connected to, to my dream. And um, you could say that's an apocalypse <laughs> of sort in the sense that we talked about Last week, I feel like God revealed something to me. And um, that's been significant to me. It's been, there haven't been many uh, incidents in my life where something so apparently kind of supernatural has happened. But thinking on last week, and you'll have to catch up on the podcast if you didn't catch it. You know, for, I don't know if there's something still to come out of that dream. It was significant in the sense that it kind of confirmed that God can reveal <laughs> mysteries to us, that God, God's in control of things. I think about these words of Paul to the church in Philippi. I count everything as loss, but the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. My point last week was, I think it's right to lean into this book and see what it might tell us about what is unfolding in history. I think it's right that we should expect that it'll tell us something about maybe even what's going on in ourselves, in our hearts and minds. But the thing that we should always desire most is a revelation of Jesus. A revelation of Jesus. That is the thing of surpassing worth. And Jesus... We trust is revealed to us through Scripture. And I talked a little bit about some of the complications of that. The fact that Jesus reveals himself to Scripture doesn't mean it's all settled. We, we have some idea that even in this room, there's differences of theological perspective. We, we read things slightly differently. And when we get to uh, <laughs> the issue of this book, the book of Revelation, there's some very divergent understandings of what it might be saying to us. Um, 
thinking about, and this is me doing, um, doing that little bit of improvisation so as not to quench the spirit. I'm going to put my notes out there because they're a lot more detailed than what we're going to get to. Verse 3 of chapter 1, the apocalypse from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Let's just say you've been able to track with everything that's been presented last week and this week. We believe that God reveals himself to us. We believe that these are the words of scripture and they're going to reveal something of Jesus to us and maybe even something of what's going on in the world and what's going on in our hearts as well. As much as we might be on the same page um, on all of that stuff, I wonder who here already has some idea why I've put soon in yellow there. I put soon in yellow from verse 3 because I just think it's a fact that in a congregation like this where we've got a wonderful sort of diversity of of expression of faith and even to, to a small degree theology, as much as we might be on the same page, we can hit this word soon, which is in the very first verse of Revelation and there is an opportunity for some of us to zig and some of us to zag. And as I'm going to show you, some of us to zag-zig and some of us to zigzag. And I'm going to just whiz through some stuff here. I don't want you to get caught up on the details because they're not important. It's just to make the point that actually um, there's room for interpretation in the church's history around what's going on in this book. Because we might read this passage and go, okay, so something is going to take place soon. It's going to be revealed in this book. We might read that and very reasonably ask, well, how soon? (laughs) Because one of the first issues of interpretation where there's some diversity amongst Christians, when they come to this book, is the question of time frame, right? Has anyone got any uh, inkling into where I'm, I'm going here? The question of time frame. It might have been reasonable for John's first hearers in the first century to take John at his word that when he said soon, he meant soon uh, in the same sense that we would use it, when uh, will breakfast be ready? Soon. (laughs) Um, Sometime this morning, hopefully. And there are Christians who, who hone in on that. Again, don't get stuck up on this thing that says preterist, but Christians who are kind of Uh, put into groups, identify with groups, positions on the time frame of Revelation. And so these Christians that are known as preterists or whom we might call preterists, they imagine that when John says soon at the end of verse 1 in this book, he's meaning soon in the sense that his original audience might have understood soon. So John said soon, they said, okay, it's going to happen in our lifetime. And so this group of people who read uh, Revelation this way, and again, don't feel like you have to remember this, I'm just making a point. They sort of see the destruction of Jerusalem as the fulfilment of a lot of prophecy that's going on in, in Revelation in the New Testament, almost like the end of the world. And so soon means soon in the sense that John's original audience would have heard it. Then, There's other people, and maybe you know some people like this. This has been more popular 
in recent years, people who are sometimes called futurists, and they understand soon, not so much as how John's original audience might have heard soon, but they understand soon in the way that we might understand soon. So that the things that are prophesied about, the things that Revelation is speaking to, mean soon for us now. Maybe even now, but definitely soon. <laughs> and you might think of, uh, I put that book up uh, on, on the slide called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. came out in the late 90s from memory. There was sort of some other stuff in that realm, like the, the Left Behind books and the Left, Left Behind movies that were kind of from this futurist perspective. So if it's not confusing enough that there's some Christians who think soon uh, means soon in terms of the first century and some Christians who, means, who think soon means like our soon, there's also many, many Christians, some of whom I'd imagine we have a deep respect and I would regret a debt of, a debt of gratitude to, who believe that soon meant, and it sort of almost mapped onto history, between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And I've just put pictures of two of them up there. That's John Calvin and Charles Wesley, but we could also put Martin Luther there. And people talk about their perspective on the time frame of Revelation, on what this word soon meant, in terms of an historicist perspective. And then, if that's not <laughs> confusing enough, there's another perspective that's referred to as the idealist perspective, and it sort of holds that wherever we are in history, Revelation is speaking these deep truths and the pictures it gives us of what works in history and how God's working and how empires work and how Satan's working kind of always work. Any point in history, we can read them and they, they're, they're speaking God's word to us in the time we're in, whether it's in the Middle Ages or now or in you know the 3rd or 4th century. And maybe the most famous proponent of this kind of perspective I've got up there, but... It's a, he's a guy called Karl Barth, um, and lots of people say, you know, whether they like him or not, uh, lots of people say the most sort of significant theologian of the last hundred years. So soon could mean soon their time, soon could mean soon our time, soon could mean any time between Jesus' first and second coming, soon could mean any time. And... Um, it's confusing. I mean, it's a challenge for me because I think, well, what, what hope have I got <laughs> of making sense of Revelation if, you know, there we've got some people who take the context of the Bible really seriously and they've dedicated their lives to that. We've got some people like Hal Lindsey who are sort of specialising in this kind of theology. We've got heroes of the faith like Martin Luther and John Calvin. We've got extremely smart people people who dedicate their life to the study of God, like Karl Barth, and they all arrive at different positions. Is this the reason why we don't read this book very much? I suspect that this is the reason why we don't read this book very much. It's definitely the reason why I have felt a little bit um, apprehensive across the course of my life of getting sort of too stuck up on trying to understand this book, because it's just like, where do we land? Where do we land with it? I believe we need to hold fast to the words of Revelation that we've read today, that there is indeed a blessing for those of us who read aloud these words 
and who hear these words. I don't know if you know that there's hearing and hearing. I'm very aware that there's hearing and hearing as the father of four young children because I watch them hear or not hear what I say to them to various different degrees. Hurry up and eat your breakfast because we need to go in 15 minutes. Saying that and having them hear it yields different results across the board. Athanasius has no idea what 15 minutes is. Junie um, doesn't care what 15 minutes is. Iggy knows what 15 minutes is, but still believes he can eat two more bowls of wheat bix in that time before he has to finish getting his uniform on. And um, it speaks to me of the fact that, you know, it's possible to have words go in one ear and out the other, but there is always the question of, What's getting processed in here? How much do we understand the significance of those words? And I think this is encouraging because Revelation 1 to 3 says, Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. This word hear means to listen, to understand and to pay attention. It's not speaking about words that go in one ear and out the other. It's speaking about words that we understand. So presumably we can understand the words of Revelation. Um, It goes beyond just hearing, even and understanding though, and speaks about a blessing that comes to those who hear the words, who understand them and take them to heart. And the phrase translated to heart is actually a word there in Greek, which means, which is tereo. Um, it might be translated in your Bible rather as keep what is written in it. So either take it to heart or keep what is written in it. But what it basically means is, is to live it, <laughs> to test it, to make it a part of who you are. So as we hear the words of Revelation, we are to hear them, seek to understand them, and then seek to live them out. Why is that encouraging (laughs) news? I believe it's encouraging news for us because actually there's something significant about the word hear in Scripture. We might be familiar with the idea of reading our Bible. You've been encouraged, I'm sure, to have some sort of devotional time where you get up and you study your Bible, and undoubtedly that is a good thing. But I'm not sure if you've thought about the fact that the original audiences of the Bible weren't so much readers of Scripture as they were hearers of Scripture. So this applies to the documents of the New Testament and really the whole of Scripture. Most people in the ancient world weren't literate, for one. Most people couldn't afford the Scripture. And so where did they encounter God's Word, Scripture? They encountered it gathered as the community of faith. So they would go to the synagogue or to the early church. They would sit and someone would get up and they would read might even be better to think of it as kind of perform scripture. There's an expectation that scripture isn't something that we're kind of pursuing 
in our cave, in our study by ourselves in black and white, but no, we're sitting with God's people in our place and we're hearing the word of God delivered to us, spoken to us. Why is that encouraging? It's encouraging because it's not just up to you to work it out in the quiet of your study. That's a good thing to do. A lot of my life, as you can imagine, is doing that thing. But I don't believe that that's how God's work, word works primarily. It works in community. Those places where together we hear it, we seek to understand it, and we seek to understand it by working it out amongst ourselves. And then we have to live it too. Taking to heart in a Hebrew perspective means taking it into your being, making it a part of who you are, making it something that you rise up and do every day, something that you remind yourself of as you go to sleep. We're talking about a kind of shared apocalypse. This is encouraging because it's going to be down to not just the best of our faculties, the best of our abilities, the, you know, the best study that we can do in our private life, but it's going to be about the work of the Spirit amongst us, right? So those of us who do lean in and do the study coming and going, well, what do you think this means, Rob? What do you think this means, Leanne? What do you think this means, Kayla? What is God saying to us here? How is it going to not just be something that we understand, but something that we take into our heart, something that we keep, something that we walk out, something that we live and breathe? Last week, um, for the first service, I just introduced this as a little tool that I believe we can carry with us as the assembled people of God in a particular place who hear God's word together, seek to understand it, seek to take it to heart and live it out. Um, and it is the process of triage. So in a hospital, in the emergency department, if you turn up, there is someone who will meet you there who is expert an expert in triage. They can look at you and go, is this person in crisis? Are they having a medical emergency? Do I need to get them to a doctor as soon as possible? That's the first option. The second is, can they wait a little bit longer here in the waiting room? And the third is, can I send them home and you know, see that they have a follow-up appointment at some point in the future? It's a matter of distinguishing between what's most critical and what's least critical. And I think as Christians, we, we need to be better at this. And I think definitely as we go through the book of Revelation, this is something we need to be prepared to do with one another. So those most important issues are issues about which th there is a matter of Christian orthodoxy. If you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. That's really critical. If we're a Christian community, there, there are some things that you know, we have to rally around that have to be on the table. Whether we're Baptists or Pentecostals. But there are sort of issues of 
what I've, I've used, sorry, a technical term, forgive me, doctrine there, issues that are important to our shared identity as this particular community. And this is going to be important for us as we go through Revelation. What do we unify around? We, we might want to say more than just we believe that Jesus is going to come back and his kingdom will reign forever. We, we, we might believe that Revelation can give us some really useful insight into this moment in time into who we are to be. And then thirdly, it is just the case that we'll be led by convictions, by our own study, by our own persuasions, to hold certain opinions, which it's probably not right (laughs) that we would expect everyone to rally around. Things that we're not going to make a critical matter of faith in terms of if you want to be in this Christian community, you need to believe that Bill Cosby is the Antichrist or whoever, Elon Musk. Things like that could be more divisive that we need to learn to carry particularly lightly. Thinking about those great Christians in history who have understood even this word in the very first sentence of Revelation so differently, what does soon mean? I think it's incumbent on us to walk with some level of of humility into the book of Revelation, but then to realise that we're not alone as well. We're trying to work God's word out in a particular place amongst a particular people. And, you know, there might be a very small percentage of people in this room who, who already feel like you've got it all worked out and, and more, more power to you. Um, but I think the the majority of us are really scratching our head on a lot of this, aren't we? And we're going, it would be nice maybe to have a bit more certainty. As we do that, there's some things that are more important to be certain about. Some things that we can carry as a, as a kind of point of interest and see whether they pan out the way that we're predicting. But we're not going to say someone's salvation is dependent on that thing or not. I might get the band up. Thanks, Charlie and team. I'll get you all up at at once, if that's all right, this time around. You might know this prayer, the Shema. This is that foundational statement of Jewish belief. It's like the critical thing. It's one of those things that if you can't say this, you can't call yourself a Jew. It's a prayer. um, Sorry, um, asking, could you just keep it up for a little, a little bit longer? It's a prayer that you, you might know Jews pray multiple times a day. Hear, there's that word here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And I'm sure most of you know the way that Jesus took those words too when some detractors were sort of saying tell us what's most important to you Jesus trying to catch him out and he says this you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind he goes on of course to say you should love your neighbor as yourself I was just thinking about this idea of taking the word of God to heart, those words that 
you hear, those words that we're hearing now from the book of Revelation. Living a life completely devoted to God's word. As Pentecostals, it might be easy for us to think about God speaking to us and God's word in terms of our heart and our soul. The idea of (laughs) applying our minds to a book like Revelation um, may be less appealing, less attractive somehow. But God has given us good minds. I believe there is a call to engage deeply with this book. I believe what it says, that there's a blessing in this as well. I guess my prayer for us as we chart a course through these, these deep and, and difficult waters is that we can offer our lives to God in the process of it and offer our lives to one another that we might live out this biblical picture of what it means to hear the word of God, that we do it in community, that there are things to learn from one another, that actually there's a, there's a great importance that we walk together, that we hold our ideas in such a way as that we can be unified through the Spirit. We can have increasing revelation because we are one with another. Just as the team leads us into another song, I'd ask you to ask God what it might mean for you in this season to listen, to listen particularly to this book. Maybe you're not a big Bible reader and you found the book of Revelation a bit intimidating. You know, I believe the Holy Spirit can speak to you. I believe that Jesus can be revealed to you. I believe that this word can become alive for you in your life. Ask God what he might be asking of you. Ask God, how can I listen more closely to what you might be saying to me through this book? God, I thank you that we are part of your people here I thank you that you speak to us I thank you that there are people here who hear you I thank you even more that there are people here who have taken your words to heart people who are like you people whose spirit is aligned with your spirit people who have opened their lives up to the life of the spirit God, I pray that as we read and hear the words of Revelation, that you'd show us fresh things, things that change our lives, that change the world for your glory. Lord, we do pray that your kingdom would come. Lord, help us to be a part of its coming. Amen.